0: Wow. I am so honored and so excited to be back at Sanctuary Covenant Church. Uh, Before I jump into the sermon, I want to tell you a couple of stories about Sanctuary that you may not know. The Allen family is sitting up here. Uh, They don't know why they're sitting at this table, but it's because they're in the sermon at least twice. (laughs) So here's the first one. It is their fault that sanctuary exists. Uh, I was an associate pastor at Park Avenue United Methodist in South Minneapolis. And um, what happened was uh, early in 2002, uh, Pastor Mark Horst at the time, we we lost him to glory last year, but Pastor uh, Mark Horst uh, went on sabbatical. And um, we also had another uh, pastor, Peter Singletary, uh, and the first week that uh, Pastor Horst was on sabbatical, I was walking by Pastor Singletary's office, and he was on the floor having seizures. And so we we called 911, and uh, he 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 recovered well, but he was kind of out of the pulpit for about a month and a half. So all of a sudden, the senior pastor was on sabbatical. The senior associate pastor uh, was was, uh, recovering in the hospital. And so during that time, I ended up preaching like every Sunday at Park Avenue United Methodist Church. And uh, some people came to the church thinking I was the senior pastor. But, but, I, but I wasn't. And so um, one, one Sunday, I don't even know if they remember this, the Allens came up to me and, you know, they, they, I don't know if they said good job or, you know, try again next Sunday. You know, <laughs> you're going to get good eventually. Uh, but, uh, but Melanie Allen said to me, so, so you're not the senior pastor of this church? And I said, no. And she said, well, if you ever start a church, we're going to join that church. And I said, well, I'm not ever going to start a church so you don't have to worry about that. See what you did. (laughs) So that's that's one story I wanted I wanted to tell you, uh, that um, that so many people spoke into my and Danisha's life to give us the courage to say yes to this. Uh, And 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 the other story I want to tell you is that, initially when I was writing the vision and stuff on a napkin, it it wasn't going to be a multi-ethnic church. Sorry about this, non African American people, what I'm about to say. Sorry about it. it, it, it I, mean, I mean, I knew we were going to get together in heaven. I did. I, 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 I knew that part. But, but initially, what I was thinking, because the church starts in North Minneapolis. And I was thinking that a lot of uh, African Americans that my wife and I knew from high school had stopped going to church. Some of them were hurt by the church some of them had become disillusioned in their faith and so this really burdened Denisha and I and so we were like you know what we want to reach out we want to plant a church that the folks we grew up with would come to and we wanted to reach the hip hop generation because there was a lot of words that were basically basically putting down the hip hop generation as if God's love and grace didn't extend to them so if they heard a sermon in church, a lot of times they felt those sermons were being preached against them. So we wanted to start a church that, that, would, that would reach the hip-hop generation, that would reach our peers that we grew up with. And so um, like, like the first Sunday at uh, Patrick Henry High School, I was like a kid in a play, like I was nervous. I didn't know who was all going to show up. And so I was standing behind the curtain, and, and um, da- Danisha was standing next to me, and I peeked out, you know, like it was a school play to see how many people showed up. And, and, um, and, and there were a lot of white people there, a lot. Like, I, 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 more than expected. Like, I was, I was expecting a few, but it was like, y'all had whole section. I was like, wow. Man, look at, look at Scandinavian Minnesota show up. Wow, look at this, it's awesome. But I was nervous, though. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I was at Park Avenue, very multiethnic church, but I was still, I was still nervous. And so, the, I, I shouldn't have said this. So please, my white brothers and sisters, don't be mad at me. I shouldn't have said it. I was like, I said to Danisha, "You know how you, when you, you don't want people to hear you, so you talk without opening your mouth. You go, look at all these white people." <laughs> and so I said, I said, uh, Danisha. So Danisha says, "What are you gonna do if they all show up next week?" And before I could answer, she said, you're going to be their pastor. Amen. 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 And that began this road to reconciliation and, and, and sanctuary being way more diverse than I had ever dreamed, but yet so glad that that's what it, what it became. I'm, I'm honored, honored. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm new school and old school, so giving honor to God, giving honor to Pastor Edrin, First Lady, Shaniqua, uh, State senator. Wow, Bobby Joe, you've come a long way. I, was... I still remember 1987. You know, the good thing about me and you is they didn't have Twitter in the 80s. That's what's so awesome. No, Bobby Joe Champion has been a good man. He, he is a true Minnesotan. He, he has a love for this state. This brother went from gospel artist to attorney to state senator to president of the Senate of this state. And so uh, now, when you become governor, you better invite me back. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You, you, you know, when you join Raphael Warnock in DC, you don't forget about me. Don't be acting like, who are you? Don't do. Th- There's a word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14, it says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6 verse 1 says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. From this text, I want to preach to you on the title, Rise of the Reconcilers. Rise of the Reconcilers. God, I pray this would be your message that ultimately you would be speaking and I would just be the vessel, the vehicle that you decided to use to say what you want to say. To these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers, God, I desire to be obedient to your word. So please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Rise of the Reconcilers. Sisters and brothers, we live in an upside down world. God created the heavens and the earth. God hung the stars and the moon and the sun. God created the creatures of the sky and of the land and in the water, and it was all good. God created humanity in God's own image to flourish, to be fruitful, to thrive in God's creation. And yet, the whole world was turned upside down by sin. Sin disrupts. Sin turns backwards. Sin turns upside down what is to be righteous and just, holy, right. It's turned upside down by sin. But if we don't understand the full dimensions of sin, sin in all of its expressions, it's hard for the church to rise and respond to the upside downness of the world. Sin has at least three dimensions. There is sin in the soul. Humanity is broken from the inside out. But there's also sin in society. The world is not right. And there's also sin in Satan the great enemy, the liar, the deceiver, the serpent. There has been a a, a divide in the body of Christ over understanding sin in its fullness and the impact on why the world is so upside down. Some primarily see sin in the soul, and sin is in the soul. But when you don't see the other dimensions, then you just focus on, okay, the solution to sin in the soul is for people to accept Jesus Christ into their individual hearts, for people to accept Jesus into their individual souls, and that is right. But some people are so preoccupied with that biblical work of evangelism that they don't uh, also see sin in society. Systemic injustice, systemic brokenness. But see, systemic sin is biblical too it explains Egypt. It explains Babylon and Syria. It it, it explains how Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel could pass bad public policy that you couldn't even pray in public. And so when you look at Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego or the book of Esther, what you're seeing is the beginning of nonviolent resistors, people that would rise against systemic sin, systemic injustice. I'm not talking critical race theory. I'm talking Bible. See, we could deal with systemic injustice today if we would acknowledge the systemic injustices at the roots of our nation, though some people don't want even an advancement placement course on it. Or... We could deal with systemic injustice today if we understood that God says in Isaiah, I love justice. Don't bribe a judge. Be mindful of the most vulnerable among us. So sin is in society, and sin is also in Satan. And some people They're they're, they're so focused on sin and Satan, which is biblical, which is right, that they don't see the others. And so some people are just focused on sin in the soul. Some people are just focused on sin in society, which means if you're just focused on sin in society but not in your soul, you can fight for justice in the public, but you can be deceived in the private. You, You can stand up and say justice but yet you're not dealing with the lust and the brokenness and the adultery and the hateful, murderous thoughts in your own soul because you won't acknowledge your own internal brokenness. And, and then some people just acknowledge the brokenness as spiritual warfare, which is true. And so they just focus on sin and Satan, so they're just trying to cast everything out. I cast that out in Jesus' name. I cast that out. You cough. <coughs> I cast out that cough. But some things you can't just cast out. Some things you have to work out. Some things you have to live out in a broken world. The good news is over 20 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, someone named Jesus came into this upside down world and gave us a picture of what it would look like if it was turned right side up. And he called that the kingdom of God. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called it the beloved community. And Jesus, he gave us this clear picture of what the kingdom of God looks like when it reigns in a broken world. He preached about it. He declared it and he demonstrated it. And then he went to the cross and he died and he rose. And one day, Jesus will return and everything will be made right. But until then, we need churches that are willing to rise to the occasion and give a broken world a sneak preview of what the kingdom of God looks like until such time as Jesus returns. This is the vision, the call, the purpose of Sanctuary Covenant Church. The original motto, to reconcile the people of the city to God and one another. To be a trailer, a sneak preview of what the kingdom of God looks like when it shows up in broken places, in broken hearts. Paul carried this burden way before sanctuary existed, way before Denisha and I had the courage to step out on faith. Paul was wrestling with these same issues. Here in 2 Corinthians, he's writing another letter to an urban multicultural church this church at Corinth these letters of Paul to the to the Corinthians are they're they're theological but they're deeply emotional I I don't know maybe 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 Paul was a three on the Enneagram I'm not sure but but scholars believe that Paul wrote to this church more than just the two letters we have in the canon of the Bible there are some that believe he wrote four letters to this church. 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians refers to another emotional letter that Paul wrote to them that did not make it into the canon. And then some people believe bec- that that 2 that, that Corinthians is actually two letters that were combined together. So it could be that he that he wrote four, uh, or it could be that he wrote three. Uh, be, be, and some people think he wrote four because 2 Corinthians, it's like on one hand, he's telling them how much he loves them. He's telling, and and then at the end, he's trying to raise an offering. And I said, That's not two letters. That's just one urban preacher. I mean, (laughs) that's one letter as far as I'm concerned. I love y'all. I love y'all. But we got to take an offering. (laughs) But here in 2 Corinthians, he's writing and he's fighting. He's fighting for the authentic gospel, he's fighting for his own integrity. There are false teachers that have shown up in the church trying to deceive people that the gospel is really not, a, it's really not about God's love and grace. And they're also trying to put Paul's legitimacy as an apostle in question. Ah, I know how Paul feels. When this church started, I have to tell you, unfortunately, there were people that were against it. I received phone calls from pastors that said, don't bring that church over here. Won't you stay over there in South Minneapolis? Why do not you stay at Park Avenue? Why are you trying to start a church for? And why are you coming over here? And I had to humbly, lovingly, as best I could, tell those pastors, last time I checked you were not even born here. I'm from Minneapolis. I graduated from North High School. Last time that I checked because uh, it was a hip-hop church. <laughs> 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 so we came anyway and we started. So I know what it's like to have a vision put in question. I know what it's like to have your calling questioned but yet 20 years later you're still here and I just want to take just a few minutes to remind you why you're still here you are here so that you will continue to rise to the occasion this church rose up 20 years ago this church when there was a slum landlord Over an apartment building right off of Plymouth, this church rose. People were coming to me one Sunday about this apartment building, and some of the people living in the apartment building didn't want to complain about how bad the conditions were because some of them were undocumented. So I was silly enough to say in a sermon one day, Hey, I'm going to that apartment building at 4 o'clock today. Anybody want to meet me there? And this church rose to the occasion, and 400 people, we stood together. Somebody called Don Samuels. He had to come down there. The fire chief came down there, because this is a church that rises. When a tornado hit, this church rose. After the death of George Floyd, who died on the block I grew up on, and the protests and the riots of people that didn't truly represent the protesters made its way to North Minneapolis. This church rose. But I had a feeling y'all were going to be in the rising business. I did. I remember the last sermon I preached in July of, of, of 2010. My, my last sermon, uh, at the time, uh, council member Jackie Cherry Holmes, came up to me. After church, and she said, So you leaving? And I said, Yes. She said, But the church is not leaving. I said, No. She said, Then good, you can go. Because <laughs> she said, As much as I'm going to miss you, as long as I know this vision and the purpose of this church is going to continue in North Minneapolis, I'm good. You've continued to rise to the occasion. So how do you do that? How do you continue to rise as reconcilers? Let me just give you these three points and then I'll be out of your way. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, it says, for Christ's love compels us Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. If you're going to continue to rise over the next 20 years and the next 20 years and the next 20 years after that, you have to continue to rediscover God's love year after year, have a deeper discovery of God's love because God's love and grace is the foundation of this church. This church is birthed out of the grace, out of the love of God. If it weren't for the grace of God, if it weren't for the love of God, this church would not exist. But that's true of all churches that are representing the gospel of Jesus Christ. No church would exist in a healthy, thriving way. There'd be no baptisms. There'd be no coming to Christ. There'd be no disciple making. There'd be no Royal Hood children's ministry. There'd be no originally the Mosaic youth ministry. There, there'd be none of this with without the love of God. This was bigger. It was always bigger than me and Danisha. And it's bigger than Edrin and Shaniqua. It's bigger than the elder board. It's bigger than the staff. It is about the rich abundant, never-ending love of God. And we need this for the church to stand, for the church to move forward. You need a love beyond what you can manufacture. If you're married in here, you know how your marriage lasts? By depending on a love you can't produce. you, you, You know how you make it in your single life. You know how you make it raising kids. You know how you make it in your cubicle next to somebody that's on your last nerve with a love that you can't produce in your own power. We need the love of God to rise when we're tired, when we're burdened, when we're frustrated, when we're angry, when we're feeling low. We need God's love in order to rise. We must rediscover this love. The, the word here in the Greek, compel, means to govern. It, it means trapped. It means no escape. That's an interesting word that, that Paul would use to describe that, that God's love, it traps us. So, so what this means is I have to be trapped by God so I can be liberated in the world. I have to be held by God so I can be free. In a broken world so that I can rise, rediscover God's love. Uh, Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We have to continue to rediscover ourselves and each other. For this church to continue to rise as a multi-ethnic, Christ-centered, reconciling movement. It takes the continual journey of knowing who you are and knowing the blessedness of the diverse people around you. We can't just sit next to each other. I've I've discovered that just creating a diverse church is not enough to produce the kingdom disruption that is needed in the world, to create the kingdom disruption that is needed in a world of systemic injustice, in a world of political polarization, in a world of human trafficking, in a world of selfishness. In in that kind of broken world, what disrupts it is understanding more deeply who you are. You are more than the social construct of race. There is a deeper cultural ethnic dynamic to your being. You have to discover this. I had a family reunion uh, in Dallas, Texas this past summer. And so... uh, we have somebody that, you know, they, they're kind of like a genealogist in our family, and they keep building out our family tree. So every time we get together, they tell us something about our family on my mother's side that we didn't know. And so I, I found out, you can trace uh, my family tree on my mom's side uh, all the way to a slave woman named Jenny, that they also called her Easter. Um, but I also found out uh, that they're Scottish and Irish in my family, and we had some deeper uh, news on, on how that happened. So uh, there, there was a man who happened to be Scottish-Irish. Uh, he, was, he was married. Uh, he had like five children. Uh, we, we saw a picture of him, so we discovered all this through Ancestry.com and, and just like uh, uh, independent gossip sources. So... <laughs> So this man, he's Scottish, kind of Irish. He's in Alabama, and he's married, and he has kids. And there's a, a an African American woman, who uh, is is the help, you know, is, is she's working as a domestic in in his house, and um, and he had a child with her 14 year old daughter. Uh, so uh, there's there's this there's this like. Interesting, powerful side to my family tree, and then there's this painful side of my family tree. But sometimes God will take praise and pain and create purpose out of it. That, that sometimes at the intersection of Pain Avenue and Praise Street, God will create a purpose, which means you can't find your purpose if you ignore the pain. And you can 't find your purpose if you refuse to praise in the midst of the pain so in this in this at this intersection of a family tree that has praise and pain, a slave girl named Easter who found her freedom and this other interesting story, I found my call to reconciliation once again. now, fast forward my african American Daughter, Jada, our oldest daughter, in college meets Josiah from a small town in California. Josiah has real blonde hair. I mean, like real, like real, you can almost see through it. It's so blonde. And he's a police officer. And he's my son-in-law. And when I watched Jada and Josiah fall in love, it was like a redemption story on this end when you think of the historic broken story on that end. See what God will do? If you stay in the authenticity of your heritage, you can watch the joy and pain like sunshine and rain. And rain. <laughs> so you got to be committed. You're more than white, you're more than black, you're more than brown, you're more than red. There is a deep, heritage, and if you would lean into it and discover your true multi-ethnic, multicultural heritage, even the painful parts, it will inform your ability to rise in a world that is still so polarized. Rediscover who you really are and rediscover the blessing of other people. The reason there is such controversy around what classes we think should be taught in schools in certain states, the reason I'm so burdened by this, is because if we're deprived of history, of people that don't look like us, we can't truly build beloved community with people that don't look like us. We have to discover ourselves so that we can discover others more rightly, so that we can be blessed. We, when we first started, some of y'all remember this, we used to have potluck meals at Sanctuary. And I would ask people to bring something that represents your culture or your background. And, and because we were much smaller then, we could do this. You I mean, we, we met in the basement of Brookdale Covenant, I believe it was. And so we met in the basement, and, and quarterly we'd have these multi-ethnic potluck meals. And so there was like enchiladas next to the fried rice, next to the collard greens. Uh, I, I, was it Andrea Lee that would bring the cornbread? Andrea Lee brought the cornbread. If y'all haven't had Andrea Lee's cornbread, you're missing out on a blessing. I don't know if she's retired from cornbread making, but pastor, you need to make her. You need to say, if you don't make cornbread, your check gonna come up short. Like, dude, just make her make it. Whatever you gotta do. It's that good. It's, it's oh my gosh. So, Andrew Lee's cornbread. And, and, and this is how reconciling it was. We had sweet potato pie next to pumpkin pie. What? This is like having Superman and Lex Luthor in the same room. Now, there were two dishes that we outlawed. You couldn't bring lutefisk and you couldn't bring chitlins. Those were the two things that that we we made it clear. If you bring this, we're going to give you your letter of exit from membership of this church. Could you imagine the smell of lutefisk and chitlins in the same atmosphere? How demonic. But this is what we would say way back then. Maybe you need to have another multicultural meal like this. We used to say, the same way we're digesting one another's foods, we need to digest one another's stories, one another's pain, one another's joys, one another's dreams. This is how you become a church that can rise in a broken, divided world. Finally, verse verse 16 also says this. ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We have to rediscover constantly God's love. We have to rediscover constantly who we are and others. And then we have to constantly keep discovering who Jesus is. Christians must continue to discover the depths of Jesus the most important reason we need to do this is because we're in a world that continues to present to us counterfeit Jesuses. We live in this world where people profit off of a counterfeit Christ. People get rich. People sustain power by packaging a false Jesus and creating political ideologies out of it, creating theologies out of it, getting book deals out of it, developing conferences off of Paul was so concerned about a counterfeit gospel. He was so concerned about a false gospel that false teachers were projecting for profit. So I got to introduce you to some of these counterfeit Jesuses. Well, there's the white Jesus. There's the black Jesus. There's the Republican Jesus. There's the Democrat Jesus. No offense. There's the. <laughs> but you're bringing Jesus into the Democratic Party, so that's what's awesome. There's 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 the Hollywood Jesus. There's the casino Jesus. Bless him, Lord. Oh man. There's the Jesus is my homeboy. There's the I can turn Jesus into whoever I need him to be so that Jesus can change and I don't have to. We must discover the authentic Jesus, the Jesus of Matthew 1, the descendant of Abraham and Isaac, David, If you look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, it is clear that we are talking about in human form a Jewish, Hebrew, African, Asiatic, multicultural Jesus. Just look at the genealogy. In that genealogy are the original inhabitants of what today we call Israel, Palestine, Egypt, Ethiopia, Libya, the Sudan, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Syria, Turkey. All in that genealogy, Jesus walked the earth in human form as a Jewish, Hebrew, multicultural human being, died on the cross with all of our blood spilling out of him. And he's also, most importantly, the Jesus of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. Nothing came into being without him. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the only begotten Son. He is the Trinity. He is the Godhead, the only begotten Son, Jesus. We must discover this Jesus and allow this Jesus to continue to cause us to rise up. I said that was the last point, but, you know, I used to be Baptist. So here's the close for real. (laughs) Finally, sanctuary to rise. We got to go back to verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Sisters and brothers, we have to rediscover love. We have to rediscover who we are. We have to rediscover others. We have to rediscover Jesus constantly, biblically. But we also, if the church is going to continue to rise, the church can't be intimidated by death. All churches that rise to the occasion year after year, one of the secret traits of churches that thrive and flourish 20 years later, 50 years later, 75 years later, is they are not intimidated by, nor do they ignore, the possibility of death. You know what all churches that die have in common? They were in denial about dying. <laughs> Every church that dies, I've watched them. Churches that die are in denial about their death, churches that thrive face the possibilities of their death regularly. Churches that rise to the occasion, churches that grow, churches that are faithful and fruitful, churches where people come to Christ and disciples are made are churches that go if it weren't for the grace of God, if it weren't for staying on track, if it weren't for staying humble. We die too. We die. Um, I said this on Friday night at the gathering we had. I had an Afro when I was pastor here. But as you notice, that's in decline. (laughs) A lot of churches are dealing with decline on the other side of the height of the COVID pandemic. Um, A lot of churches didn't make it. I just talked to a pastor friend of mine a few weeks ago that said, I'm done. And he's going to close his church. If we're going to rise, we can't be intimidated by death, and we can't act like death's not a possibility. You know, I, talk, I told you that the Allens were going to be in the sermon twice, so they're in the, they were in the opening and the close. Um, one thing that brought me and Danisha joy is there was a number of families. Some of you are in the room, would invite us to your house to eat. And um, we enjoyed all of them. But there were a couple of families that they knew that Donisha and I have roots in the South. So the Phillips family's here. and There's some some other ones, y'all. I can't call out all the names, but, you know, Sister Eloise. But the Allens, man, when I told Melanie Allen that my dad was from Louisiana and my mom was from Alabama, we went to their house one time, It was fried catfish, collard greens, macaroni and cheese, yams, cornbread, sweet tea, and peach cobbler. And um, I never told the Allens this, but as I was eating that and I laid back in my chair, I said, I could die just like this. If God would ask me, this is how I would like to die. On my 100th birthday, I would go to the grandchildren's house of the Allens, and all the recipes would have been passed down. And I'll eat fried catfish, collard greens, macaroni and cheese, yams, cornbread hot with melted butter and honey on the top of it, sweet tea, was it Bluebell ice cream? So, so, warm peach cobbler with three scoops of Bluebell vanilla bean ice cream dripping off the side of the bowl. And then I'd say, hallelujah, good God. (laughs) Fall asleep and wake up in heaven. That's how I want to die. Won't he do it? Do it, won't he? (laughs) Praise the Lord. The problem is God won't ask me how I want to die. But God keeps inviting me to die now. I had to die to me to leave this church. It was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. I did not want to go. But I had to die so that I could live into the next season. There are new seasons on the horizon for you, sanctuary. But you have to continue to ask yourself, what do we have to die to in order to be the church that God has called us to be? Maybe there's some things you did. You know, some people will say to me sometimes, I don't know if it's the same sanctuary that you used to pastor. And you know what I say? Good, because I ain't pastoring it no more. It needs to be the sanctuary that, that's led by Edrin Williams and his team and the elder board and this season. This, they don't go back to the old season, pastor. Look on the horizon to the new season. Look to the next 20 years. Let your sermons, let your teaching, let your prayers, let your tears drive you to the next 20 years. And at the next 20 years after that, don't look back. Look forward. Don't look down. Look up. There's a plan for this church. Because unfortunately, until Jesus returns, there's going to continue to be issues that's going to call on sanctuary to rise and to rise again but I got good news I know somebody who's in the rising business I know somebody who was beat in public. I know somebody. I know somebody that they threw in jail. I know somebody. I know somebody that had to sleep on the dirt floor of a cell with his skin bust open. I know somebody. I know somebody that they gambled for his clothes. I know somebody. I know somebody that they walked up to Calvary's Hill. I know somebody. I know somebody that when the cross got too heavy, they put it on an African man named Simon made him carry it I know somebody I know somebody that they laid on that cross on the ground and put nails in his hands and put nails in his feet I know somebody oh I'd like your organist I I know somebody Uh, yeah I do know somebody where'd you get him from yeah we didn't have this when I was pastor here I love Troy Williams but he couldn't do that look at Jesus on the cross I know somebody nails in his hands nails in his feet pierced in the side Mary's baby Jesus Alpha and Omega yeah you better get that out the way What I'm about to do right now I know somebody They put in a borrowed tomb I know somebody That Satan thought he won They thought he was dead forever But just in time In a broken world She Jesus rose Yes, he did. With all power in his hands, that same power is in this place right now. Tornado, shooting, protest. It doesn't matter as long as sanctuary stays right here. Don't you move. Keep praying. Keep praising. Stay right here in North Minneapolis. Don't you quit. I dare you to rise again